You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. You've bought your tickets. The ushers are about to open the doors. Yes, the projection has smicha is about to start. But first, if you own a retail business and accept credit cards, your customers are getting points, miles, and all sorts of rewards every time they use their card. And you're paying the price. That's why NRS Pay, a product of National Retail Solutions, a division of the IDT Corporation, offers its cash discount program, FeeBuster. You can start accepting credit cards for free. If your business processes over $18,000 a month, you pay no monthly fee and $0 out of your pocket for transaction. This means you, as a retailer, can enjoy the benefits of accepting plastic and your customers still get those crucial miles they crave and need. NRS Pay FeeBuster provides every client with a free credit card reader with no long-term contract, no early termination fee, cancel anytime without a penalty. I'm personally familiar with this company, and they truly stand by their product, and they'll help you with live, stateside-based customer service on any issue or question. Visit nrspay.com or call 833-289-2767 to learn more about NRS Pay and the fantastically fair fee buster. Clear the aisles, the projectionist. That's Micha. Hi, I'm here with you, Tukolakowski. I think you decided to take my advice and take a walk with Mr. Cohen. I think I extolled the film more than any other film critic, if that's what I am, has ever extolled the film. But why don't you add a little bit of sauce to, to the Kugel? If anything, I just wanted to thank you for, for introducing me to that, because that's a movie I never heard of before. And you would think, you know, would, we're both Jewish, obviously, both rabbis, we're, and, and we're both film buffs, and, we, and I had never heard of this movie before. Did you ever hear of it before you came across it? Were no, you- as, as I said, I think it's really, you know, let's credit my good friend Yaakov Friedman's employers, uh, TCM, for throwing it at everybody now, you know, celebrating 100 years of Warners. So somehow Warners was behind uh, the company in England that was making this, I guess, like I said last week. You know, it clearly uh, is definitely below the radar. Yeah, and it, and it's it, it's a type of movie that I think should be more well known, you know, within Jewish circles because it is that type of movie. You know, it's it's and like you mentioned, it, there is there are no disgusting stereotypes in this movie. It's really a, a real interesting. Yeah, positive movie. The characters are realistic and positive. I mean, not 100% realistic. It, it, it's still a movie, but it, and, and from the 30s, you know, obviously, but it's it really very well played, well done, well directed. And the fact that William Bodine made a movie like this because he made so many, you know, really, as my friend would call, misunderstood movies. He doesn't want to say anything's bad. This was really quite quite a positive, nice movie, and and, and how this escaped us, I'm, I'm very surprised. On that note, let's talk about Archie Mayo, who also, you know, he made a, almost over 100 films. And a film that he made in 1935 was another film that I appreciated, and it was brought to my attention from TCM. I'd seen the remake of this film called They Made Me a Criminal uh, with John Garfield. But this was a film with Douglas Fairbanks Jr., and already young, called The Life of Jimmy Dolan. And wasn't, it's, wasn't uh, they? They made me a criminal. Didn't they have the dead end kids? 
Um, it had Garfield in it. Uh, yeah, I think but so. they wanted, wasn't right. Garfield like with the, with the dead end kids with Leo Gorsi and Hans Hall and all them were. I think that I think you're correct, but it, it's basically the same story. But the life of Jimmy Dolan, I thought actually, despite Garfield's you know uh, magnetic presence that we've talked about often between us, the life of Jimmy Dolan is is a very enjoyable film to watch. Uh, it's about a boxer who is a, uh, and again, it's hard when you look at the Douglas Fairbanks Jr. who plays this role and you see him, you know, as a, in the ring, it's hard to really imagine that he really is an effective uh, middleweight boxer that can actually knock people out. But again, you can suspend disbelief and he plays it, you know, as a, a real, with a, with a, a, a tough New York accent. Now, I'm so used to Douglas Fairbanks Jr. from his later years. You know, he affected very much an English accent. He was very good friends with Lawrence Olivier and many of the other English actors. I, I thought his natural, the way he naturally spoke was, you know, like a Brit. And he did, I think, move to, to England at the end of his life. But this is a film he made where uh, he plays a boxer who is, to put it in, in our language, uh, he presents himself as the all-American boy who just loves his mom and lives in Yonkers. But really, he's basically a guy who just likes to party, gets drunk, lives uh, very uh, very high on the hog, has a lot of fancy cars and, and watches and other sorts of male jewelry. And he, after a fight that he wins, he gets involved with someone who's trying to expose him, a newspaper person who wants to expose his facade. And... He gets into a shoving match with the person and pushing him in this drunken state that he was, uh, he actually pushes him and, and, and the person dies. Of course, uh, Dolan is so drunk, he doesn't realize what he's done. And then his best friend decides that they are going to shaft him, that they are going to, um, uh, basically you know, finger him for the murder and run away with his, money in his car and leave him to be arrested when the witness comes to the police and tells them what happened. You know, it turns out that, as you might expect, when they run away with the car, the they get into a terrible accident, his best friend does, and his remains are so burnt that they're not able to identify the body except for the pieces of jewelry and the, the expensive watch that indicated that it was actually Dolan himself who dies in the uh, in the fiery accident with his girlfriend, uh, which leaves Dolan waking up, finding a newspaper, discovering that he's supposedly dead, uh, going to his lawyer, who I think is implied to be a Jewish fellow, who basically he entrusts his lawyer with his key to a safety deposit box. You understand, like, obviously that's a mistake. And the lawyer takes all his money that he has, gives him $200 and tells him to hop a, a train like a hobo, as many were in those days, and get out of here because he's officially dead. Now, the other dynamic in the film is that there is a nearsighted sort of over-the-hill detective who the, 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 the movie indicates had made a mistake and sent the wrong person to the electric chair. It was played by Guy Kibbe. And he's only known as Flaxer, Flaxer the detective. And somehow, Kibby as Flaxer has his eyes on Dolan, and he realizes that he's not who he says he is. And he remembers that Dolan, who is a southpaw, 
in terms of the way he fights. He's, that means he's a, he fights with his left hand. That's his stronger hand in which he's able to overpower his opponents. He comes into his, uh, after he had won the, the championship, he came in and saw, uh, the watch. And he sort of had a little bit of conversation with him, which of course sets the tale, uh, uh, going that Flancer does not believe that it's Dolan who has died in the car accident. The reason being is because when the body was found, the watch was on the right hand, not on the left hand, which is where a left-handed person would have his watch, making it easier for him to see. Of course, everybody dismisses Flancer because he's already sent the guy to the prison in the wrong time. And uh, Edward Arnold has an unbilled role here as the DA who has leapfrogged the head of Flancer and considers him just an over-the-hill person who should retire. A great little four or five minutes of Edward Arnold, who off pod, you mentioned, of course, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I don't think there's ever been a better villain than Edward Arnold in that film. He, of course, is the big industrialist in in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. So before Hollywood discovered the gem that they had in Edward Arnold in 1933, of course, he played the devil in Daniel Webster. Uh, of course, I recommended, you know, The Earl of Chicago. You might remember the film I recommended a, a couple of years ago to you um, with Robert Montgomery. Edward Arnold is great in almost everything that he does. It's a wonderful a little role that he has here, but he's not the only surprise. And this is the reason what I want to get to Douglas Fairbanks Jr. was a pretty established star at this point. And you can believe his accent. He makes his way West to some little Hamlet somewhere near Salt Lake city. And there he discovers a sort of a farm uh, place that is being implemented to help kids seemingly with some sort of polio uh, although they never really say the kids have polio, but they, all the kids, uh, all have a limp as if, you know, they are suffering from some sort of debilitating disease. There's only four of them. Two of the kids there that he discovers, uh, they are also unbilled, but one of them is Mickey Rooney and one of his earliest uh, talking films. And the other is Farina from the Little Rascals. But he, he almost steals the movie. Alan Hoskins, that's what he was known as. Alan Hoskins was Farina. And really the film, although it, you know, it, it, you could say, well, come on, it's your typical black, uh, kid. In, in no way do they treat him as if he's somehow, you know, less intelligent or doesn't understand things. He actually comes in with a, a number of wonderful little zingers, uh, of commentary about what's going on, almost like a wise type of commentary about what's happening. Uh, similarly, Mickey Rooney also as Freckles. I, I found this was one of the films I could take Mickey Rooney in. You know, he's, he doesn't overplay it. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, push things. He just plays uh, looking like, although he was probably, you know, older than what he was playing. He was, he was just playing like a typical nine, 10 year old kid who's somewhat precocious and, uh, you know, it really looks up to this stranger that arrives. You know, he changes his identity. He's not known as Jimmy Dolan here. He, he calls himself something else, Jerry something or other. But the love interest there is is you have Loretta Young, who for some reason is there on this farm helping these kids. It turns out, I guess, her uncle was the one who started. His uncle has died. And she and her aunt, who is played by Aline McMahon. Now, Aline McMahon had a very strong Irish accent and it comes across in this film. Uh, when I looked her up on the IMDb, I discovered that her mom was Jewish. So she was actually a Jewish actress. Aline McMahon, she's the aunt, along with Loretta Young, that is taking care of these kids. And originally, he's just 
feels humbled that he's able to find, he's humbled and he appreciates the fact that he has a place, but he comes to through the kindness that he sees displayed on this farm, uh, the the sincerity of these kids, and of course a a, a real love starts to grow between Jimmy Dolan, Douglas Fairbanks, and Loretta Young. And Loretta Young was uh, was was an actress of very uh, great range in a, in a way she she could you know she really could play high comedy. Uh, I, I talked about the film that that, that she made, uh, <laughs> Love Is News, where. You know, she's wonderful. In this film as well, Already Young is very believable in everything that she does. She doesn't really need uh, a tremendous script to shine, and she does shine wonderfully in this film. You do, you, you understand why uh, Dolan is able to connect to her and how she's able through her sincerity and her, her, the realness of, of the way she speaks and, and, and the way she looks, that this is something that perhaps indicates to him that he could change his life. And that maybe it was a gift that lifestyle that he had as the as the champion running around with women and getting drunk. This is now something that he's left behind. And he appreciates the the real, if not hero worship, but the real friendship and the lessons he can teach uh, these kids who show him that although they are at a disadvantage, uh, they never allow themselves to wallow in the victimhood or wallow in their illness. And he's moved by this to really become somewhat of a different person. The the dynamics of the plot, though, however, are that the farm is in danger of being foreclosed. They don't have the money to keep things up. Obviously, these children don't pay anything. And uh, the bank is going to take the the building away and send the kids back to the institutions and leave uh, Loretta Young and her aunt without a place to live. And it turns out that there is going to be a exhibition match of some mountainous boxer played by Sammy Stein. So you can look him up. He, Sammy Stein, another Jewish fellow who was huge, hairy, and you could believe it was scary to get into the ring with him. And he plays, a, you know, a, a galoot that is being trotted out in all these little places in the West uh, where people will try to fight him. And if they can last one round, every round that they last with him, uh, they get $500. And of course the, they need, I think $2,000 to be able to, to be able to keep the farm. Well, anyway, uh, Flancer somehow finds a picture uh, in a local newspaper when uh, Dolan decides to, uh, to throw his hat in the ring. And when Flancer notices that the stance that he assumes is very similar to the Southpaw, uh, fighting stance that he had in his winning round in the middleweight championship. So Flancer somehow convinces the New York police that he's going to go out there to Utah to be able to catch, to, to catch him. And of course he does arrive and he is at this fight. And as the, as the, as the, the movie builds, of course, can he stay in the ring? Can he fight those rounds? Will he be able to? And he's afraid because he, he sees Flancer there and he's afraid that if he shows his, his typical style, he'll indicate clearly that he is Jimmy Dolan and he is the person who was wanted for murder back in New York. Anyway, suffice to say the film builds up a lot of, 
good um, tension as to whether Dolan will win the fight. Will Dolan at least last the five rounds? If he does, will Flancher take him back? And you really don't know. You really can't tell what's going to happen. Now, I've saved a a surprise that I didn't say up until now. It's also one of the first talkie films that features John Wayne. John Wayne plays one of the one of these Western hicks that is going to try to fight King Cobra and is, is, is quite scared of doing it, but feels he must because he's got a young wife and he's trying to support his wife who might be pregnant or something like that. So it, it's, it's very interesting to see Douglas Fairbanks Jr. as Jimmy Dolan trying to give Chizik to John Wayne, you know, and John Wayne, uh, Although he doesn't play a cowardly part, but uh, he, he it's implied, of course, that John Wayne also got, you know, <laughs> got his head knocked off by uh, by the by the King Cobra himself. Seems as it's out of shove between these two movies from last week and this week. And, and really, all of them is uh, the Indian, you know, certain Sadiqim had an Indian problem gullis. And on one hand, sometimes it's thrust on the person like, like in the Jimmy Dolan, and sometimes like Mr. Cohen, it, it was like that Sadiq was macabre on himself, Golis. That was the point that I really wanted to bring out, even if he wasn't such a Sadiq, but he was, he was, it, it, the question is, which was the bigger Golis? Was the Golis his hero? It, you know, it's the same thing. The question is, you know, was the Golis in the, in the store being a millionaire? Or was the Golis being the vagabond? And the same thing was the Golis. You know, living that that high fancy life as the as the fighter, the prize fighter, or is it, you know, when when he's out and finds himself, you know, out in the woods and the- look. I think what you're saying, Yitzchak, is sort of classic, the classic template for so many films. Mm-hmm. You know, you can even you know I'll throw in um, Hitchcock's North by Northwest. You know, which is uh, you know, of course. Some people think it's the the pinnacle of, of of Hitch's type of suspense films, but basically it's really about how uh, Roger Thornhill, uh, Cary Grant's character, you know, is 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 a, is a wealthy executive uh, in Madison Avenue who gets thrown into a whole spy culture and really becomes a better person through all the difficulty and tribulations and excitement that come, happens to them. We mentioned John Wayne. I, I think of the Angel and the Bad Man. You know, this, mm-hmm. it, which maybe it's not as profound, but you know, that uh, the same thing. You have John Wayne, and you have Gail Russell, and it was also that same type of a thing that here he's he he's cast away because of his his crimes or whatever. And the, the Quakers, or, or John Wayne and the Quiet Man. Um, you know, uh, yeah, there he's going back to the right. He has to go back to discover exactly again, and he doesn't want to fight. If you remember in the Quiet Man, he actually plays a fighter who right. uh, who refuses to fight when he goes back to Ireland. So again, I appreciate what you're trying to do, Yitzchak, but I think I, I think most films capture us because they they do transport us and and they do try to teach us that there are ways that you don't have to be that person who's sitting there in the front row with your frustrations and issues and, and it's possible that that the, the, the difficulties you're having with life might actually be windows to self-discovery uh, and i think that's part of type of the magical i guess you know corn <laughs> that movies try to feed people consistently. 
was that, you know, to become something, you need to perhaps remove yourself. You have to lose everything sometimes to gain. And again, you could probably, you know, see that in, 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 you know, in almost every quest film that there is, you know, what is it that, what is that the hero's quest was? The hero's Uh, journey, yeah. You know, but, you know, the, the, the life of Jimmy Dolan, I think has again been overlooked first again, because of the remake. And, you know, it, it, I think when, you know, I, I've talked about fight films and I, 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 Gentleman Jim is definitely still a superior fight film about what fighting is. But I, I thought that the, the, the pleasures that I wasn't expecting, <laughs> you know, I, I think low expectations in a way, uh, is an important thing. That's in general. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Aline McMahon, who, uh, is the, you know, she's a button down, runs the farm. You know, she sneaks out to the fight itself, you know, to watch it. And just, you know, she's sitting, she's like the only woman, I think, you know, like her, you know, sort of middle-aged woman sitting there cheering uh, Dolan on, you know, Jerry, whatever she calls him. You know, and she's sitting next to some fellow who's kibitzing with her. You know, and, and, again, the accent indicates that he, he sounds like some European Jew, like who's also out there in Salt Lake City watching the fight. And they're like, like, you know, the banter. And, 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 and apparently, you know, in, the, in those days, it was very popular to, to go to the fight. That was, you know, like even in All for the Boss, you know, you read from people. So Kappa Kermit can expect he's yeah. watching in Utah is going to be going to the fight. <laughs> yeah. the- uh, his name is Adolf Fowler. Uh, and I think he was actually a Jewish fellow, Adolf Follier. Just the 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 throwaway lines in this film, I think, are, are worthwhile. As I said, the typical ending of you pay for whatever you do is in doubt, and I think that's part of uh, you know, and and it, nothing too gratuitous. It's it's not exactly a uh, you know, it's not going to take you too long to watch it. Yeah, I think it's it, it's definitely. Um, it, it's worth a shot. <laughs> it was also interesting as we were talking off pod, you know, the career of Douglas Fairbanks Jr. and how he, he might have been, you know, not your first choice for being, you know, a, a fighter. According to the IMDb site, uh, Douglas Fairbanks was in over a hundred, he was an actor in over a hundred films and television shows. And I think that that's my, my feeling is that that's probably more than his dad was. And yet, I don't think he ever escaped the shadow. Maybe he wanted to be known as Douglas Fairbanks Jr., but I think when people think about him, they think about, oh, yeah, that's the son of the guy who was really the the trailblazing star of Zorro and, uh, and the Three Musketeers and, you know, the before. You talk about, you know, being constantly under the weight of of of, of your parents. I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure if Douglas Fairbanks ever really broke out, uh, you know, from from you know from this film, you know, gave me a sense that he you know he really had, he really had some range. He died when he was uh, he died in two thousand. And 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 when was his last movie? The last movie he made was Strong Medicine. It was a TV movie made in nineteen eighty six. So you're right. You know he he he, he was able fifteen years. He was able to. Uh, he really he really slowed down. I think. You know, in in the seventies, he still was very active. Um, I think in the eighties, you know, he was in uh, a couple of Love Boat episodes, and but I think you know he, he sort of recognized that uh, you know, he was already quite <laughs> quite beyond his his. You know, he was already in his seventies. He figured, okay, what do I need this for? 
And I think that again, that, that shows, I think, a maturity as well, that he didn't have to really, you know, linger. <laughs> Both Yitzhak and I would love to hear from everybody. Uh, if there are some films that you'd like us to discuss or some topic you'd like us to deal with, believe me, we're looking for, for things and we'd be very happy to, to read your comments and questions as much as we'd like to throw some new ideas for you. Please uh, throw us something back and we will try to deal with it as best we can. So watch you step on the way, everybody. Take care. We'll see you next week. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 